Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. This morning we will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We always know the Methodists in the room right after that moment. The seven Methodists here all said thanks be to God. So welcome to the Methodists and welcome to the rest of you. Um, You know in scripture uh, it says that they devoted themselves to the public reading of scripture. All of scripture, I don't know if you know this, was actually written not to just be read silently, but to be read out loud, read in public spaces. Many people in the ancient world didn't even know how to read and didn't have a copy of this. That's a gift and a blessing in our modern world that not all had. St. Augustine, when he stumbled in on his bishop, reading the scriptures without moving his lips, thought he had just met the most brilliant of men he had ever known. Now, we know now St. Augustine to be one of the most brilliant of men that ever lived, but he'd never seen someone in all of his life, even though he had the best education in the world, read silently. So something is about this book is meant to be heard. And I don't know if you remember this verse, but we know that faith comes by So I love it when Selena reads so beautifully and clearly the Word of God. I I hope it was meaningful to you. We're in the middle of our series called The Gift of Home. And the reason we're doing this right now is this is the season of Christmas. Wasn't that a beautiful celebration of Christmas with with our next generation, which is actually this generation? By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, this is not what we sometimes call here Next Generation Sunday, where we make sure to highlight that. This is just a Sunday because that's this generation. They are the church, and they're part of what makes this spiritual house a home. You right now in this season are trying to find ways to make, whether you live in a dorm room or an apartment or townhouse like I do, or in a house with a sprawling set of acreage, Pastor Kevin, and a river near it, wherever you live, you're trying to set up your home to be home-like in the middle of the holiday season, when you will spend more time there, welcome more guests there, right? Decorations, festive lights, all kinds of things. How do you make a house a home? 
What makes a house a home? This building that we're in right now is really just a tool. It's not necessary, just like your house actually isn't necessary. You could live in a tent and survive. You might not like it, but you could live in a tent like humans did for centuries and survive. You just don't want that for your family, and we don't want that for your family either. But next week, we could be worshiping in a tent like Clarksville will be. And it would still be the church of God. The church is not a building, but we do like to have a place that we call a house. This is the house in in a metaphorical sense, the house of the Lord. How do we make this spiritual house a spiritual home? Nothing says home to me like the smell of fresh baked bread. Now, I remember when I was in kindergarten, coming home, we didn't have much at that time. I didn't even realize how we didn't have much. I thought the way I was living life was the way everybody was living life. I thought everybody made their own soap. I thought everybody sewed clothes if they wanted something new. I thought uh, only a very, very few people went out to eat, and and they must be very, very special. So I didn't even realize uh, what little we had back then. But I remember walking up from from, uh, uh, kindergarten and coming up to the back door of the house, and my my mom had the door locked because she was there home alone. She just had a part-time job at the time, and she'd made it home in time to make me a come-home snack. She unlocked the door, and when it opened, the smell of fresh-baked bread flooded out. I still remember that. I was five years old. I still remember it today. That memory is triggered every time I walk into Panera or other places where fresh-baked bread smell comes. It's the smell of home to me. Now, she didn't have this machine back then, but, you know, flour and yeast and water and a pinch of salt is pretty cheap. It just costs you time. And it's a sign of love. Now, I would probably use this if I was going to make bread. And that's why it's here. It comes from my house. Nothing says to me home like the smell of fresh baked bread. But in the same way, a similar way at least, nothing feels like the feel of home to me than a fire in the fireplace. I think there's a reason we still hang stockings up over mantles if we have them, create them if we don't, fake them if we have to. There's something about that sense of fire that gives us the feeling of home. We always had a wood-burning fireplace in my house growing up. My parents in their little tiny house up there in the hills of North Carolina still heat their house by a wood-burning stove. My dad chops the wood, brings it in, he has newspaper saved to light it, close the thing, and then they're circulates around. That's how we heat that home. You know, actually what we call central air, you realize this, that's not exactly central air, like that's dispersed air, right? Central heat would be a fireplace in the middle of the house. Sociologists tell us that nothing has divided the Western home more than the dispersion of heat and cooling throughout the home. That wherever a hearth is used to heat the home when it's cold, like it's getting ready to be, it's Tennessee, so it's fixing to be, it's fixing to be cold. And when it gets cold, if the fireplace is what heats the home, guess where everybody ends up gathering? I remember in my long exile from the south up in Indiana, uh, all those years we lived up there, negative 16 degree nights, 
wind 40 miles an hour. A little drafty home, was little actually, but it was a nice home, I was grateful for it. But it was drafty, wasn't it, Holly? A little bit drafty. And every morning you would see these kids jostling for their position in front of that fireplace. Every night we gathered in that room near the fireplace. Nothing seems to have the feeling of home like a fire in the fireplace. And so I want to talk to you today about bread and fire from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That verse that we just heard read begins this way. This passage begins in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's how it begins. To each is given not to some, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now let me just clear the ground again a little bit. We did this a little bit last week. Pastor James made fun of this word a bit. I thought it was great. Uh, the, the word manifestation has a lot of sort of baggage with it in our world today. I don't know if you were here. If you weren't here, you don't remember this and I'll share it with you. But last week, Pastor James said, this does not mean I manifest a million dollars into the universe. Million dollars, million dollars, million dollars, million dollars in my pocket now. Million dollars in my pocket now. That's not what we mean by the word manifest here. We don't actually believe in that. That sort of magic mumbo jumbo. Actually, at the root of the desire for that is something that scripture calls the love of money. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with you spending money. There's nothing evil about money in itself. But the love of money as an end in itself instead of a tool to be used. The desire for money as if the money is the source of your happiness and you won't have happiness unless you get more, 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 more. That is the root of many kinds of evil according to scripture. So if we're trying to do that kind of manifestation, we're setting ourselves up for a trap. It's like walking through a thorn field and asking who poked you. Well, you walk through the thorn field. Who told you to go there? And were they a reliable source of information? Should you go there? Manifest, manifest. no. Manifestation simply means a demonstration. So the word could be translated demonstrate or manifestation. If it's a natural thing that's invisible, but you can demonstrate it, we call it demonstration. So if I was to take this machine and drop it on the floor and break it, I'd say, boom, that there's gravity, a demonstration of gravity. Because it's a natural law that's invisible, but it has visible effects and I can demonstrate it to you. If it's a spiritual reality and we show it to you, that's called a manifestation. That's all it means. A re spiritual reality that is made visible somehow. Now, each of you has been given a visible demonstration of the reality of the presence of God. If you are in Christ, he is giving to you something that makes him seen to the world. Now that's an incredible thing already and we're just barely beginning. He has given you something, but that something that is being given to you is intended to be shown to others. It is for the common good. Which means that none of the spiritual gifts are ever intended to be privatized for your personal use alone. 
none of the nine gifts that are listed there, and it's not a comprehensive list, or any of the other gift lists that are in the New Testament that are suggestive but more complete, none of them are intended to be privatized for your own personal enjoyment in your own private spaces without being displayed to the world. The intention of them is to be shared. So if you're taking notes, here's your first spiritual principle from this passage. God's gifts are intended for sharing, not comparing. Now, sometimes we withhold the sharing of our spiritual gifts because we think, well, look at their spiritual gift. You know, that really might be for sharing. But mine, I don't know. That seems like mine should just be kind of kept over here. That my gift's not as nice as their gift or as good as their gift. And so by comparing, we sometimes keep ourselves from sharing. Now, let's go to bread. This is a bread machine. Wonderful invention. I hope they're retired on a beach in Tahiti. I'm happy for them. What a great thing. So let's say you got a bread machine for Christmas. And you invited me, bless you, over to your home for dinner. And I walked into your house and I smelled the smell of soup on the one hand and that wonderful smell of home on the other. Fresh baked bread. And I thought to myself, now that's perfect because this winter and that's the time for soup and bread. Is there anything better comfort food than that? We sit down at the table. There's bowls of soup all around. You invite us into prayer. We pray over the meal. After the prayer, you say, oh, for, I forgot something. I'll be right back. And I'm thinking you're going to get the... You go into your bedroom and you come back out with a saucer, a big slice of bread on it, all lathered up with butter. You set it down by your plate. Sit back down and start the conversation while you eat your soup with your bread. Now, if my family's with me, they're getting all kinds of knowing glances at this moment from me because just because somebody else is rude doesn't mean we become rude. Just because somebody else is inconsiderate doesn't mean we start acting inconsiderate. They see in my eyes, we're wards, we know how wards act. Keep your mouth shut. With a smile. And then you walk back into your bedroom again because you finished your bread before you finished your soup and you want things to be balanced. You don't want to eat the rest of the soup without another piece of bread. You come back out with another piece of bread and we say, oh, there's more, there was more back there. And then you say, well, I just got a bread machine for Christmas and I just really love enjoying it. It's such a fun gift for someone to give to me. What kind of person does that? Well, only me and you. When we receive gifts that were clearly meant for sharing, but we might think that they're not good enough or they're not meant for that or whatever other reason we have to justify holding it back for ourselves. Now, I have a friend, Tara, she makes sourdough bread, and when she drops a loaf of sourdough bread at my house, it is fantastic. But she always is saying, oh, I don't have this mastered yet. I don't know if I, but it's better sourdough bread than I get anywhere else. And if she was to compare, if I was to compare making bread machine bread with that, I might think I shouldn't share that either. She might compare her sourdough bread to somebody else's sourdough bread and think that's not worth sharing. And my life would be poorer for it. That's my favorite breakfast in the world. A slice of sourdough bread, a cup of coffee, me in my chair with my Bible. Life is perfect. 
God's gifts are intended for sharing, not comparing. If you begin comparing, you will begin to cease sharing. It's a natural function. Well, their gift is greater than mine, or their gift is more public than mine, or their gift is stronger than mine, or their gift is more powerful than mine. Their gift is less weird than mine. I don't like my gift. I wish I had a different gift. Now, if you're at Christmas and you're sitting around the Christmas tree and you start seeing that other people got a more valuable gift and you say to yourself, well, I got more gifts, but they're all cheap. That's not really the right Christmas spirit, is it? If you start getting frustrated at what other people are getting, and why am I not getting that? If you're given a bread machine, share the bread from your bread machine. If you're given a smoker, share the meat from your smoker. If you're given a barbecue, share the barbecue. Whatever you're given, it's given for the sake of sharing. Don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with others. That's the first spiritual principle. The second spiritual principle comes from this passage when I think about the fire. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then at the end of all of that long list of those different gifts and what they are, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He gives to each of us different things for his own purpose for the common good. Now, this is a rather large log. Um, I have a friend who got these for me who is a competitive person. He's winning our fantasy football league, and I try not to hate him for it. And he brought this very large piece of wood for this demonstration today. If I was to light this log on fire and then leave it, what would happen? How long would it take? Not long at all. Now, I've built hundreds of fires over the year. I could tell by some of your confused looks and sideways glances that some of you have never built a fire. You just have one of those little click, 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 and on comes the gas, and out comes the fire. There you go. Fantastic. I've built hundreds of fires over the years. And if you have one log and you light it, it will not stay lit. It won't even burn up all the fuel. It will burn out one corner, maybe. And then it will be done. A log lit by itself burns itself out and grows cold before it has completely served its purpose. So if you're going to build a fire, not just start a fire, and there's a difference between starting a fire and building a fire, if you're going to build a fire, you begin to carefully arrange these logs in such a way that as much as possible, there is wood above, there is wood beneath, there's wood to the left, there's wood to the right, so that by contact of one log to another, and you might have several more that you built in together, you're making sure that the fire from one lights the fuel of another and the fuel of the one is lit and that lights another so that by mutual interconnected sharing of the flame the fire continues to burn until all of the fuel is spent and its purpose is fulfilled I hope you recognize a parable when you hear one but let's make the parable plain If you want your spiritual life lit, and it briefly is, 
and it is separated from the spiritual life of others, you will burn out and grow cold long before your purpose is spent. Why doesn't he give every gift to everybody? I wonder why that might be for the common good. You know, in our church, we often talk about connect, connect class, connect central, uh, connecting into a life group. These are all spaces and places where we're trying to make sure that wood is getting connected to wood, not just so that wood can be in a pile. That's not the goal. And also, just so you know, you might feel sometimes like we're saying that assimilation is necessary, resistance is futile, you must assimilate, welcome to the board. We're not asking you to lose your uniqueness. We're not asking you to lose your personality. We're not trying to make you into some cookie-cutter Christian that's like everybody else. Some of you have beards down to your knees. Some of you, you know, have no hair, which is a godly way to be, like me. Others of you have, others of you have all, we have so much difference in the room. Look around the room. But we don't want this to be a salad bowl. We want it to be a fireplace where the fire of God in one lights the fuel in another and the lit fuel in that one lights the fire in another and they mutually serve each other so that they reach their purpose in Jesus Christ. So here's your second spiritual principle. Each of us has something to offer and something to receive. If you have settled the issue of lordship in your heart as best as you can, this passage says earlier that nobody says that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit of God. It's not just a magic word that you say. You can't mean that except by the Spirit of God. In other words, demons believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe that. Jesus doesn't need believers. He needs followers. There's plenty of believers that are not followers. If you've settled the issue of lordship, not just that you believe he's Lord, but he is my Lord. He's my master. He's my creator. He's my director. He's my supervisor. He's the the boss. I live my life his way. If you've settled that, then he has given you something. And it might be just in barest form. Paul writes to Timothy and says, fan into flame the gift of God. So it starts sometimes in a small coal-like way. But the breath of the Spirit, the participation of our own life, and the connectivity we have with others fans it into flame. You have something to offer, but you also have something to receive. Now, there's usually two types of people. There's one type of person who's not sure they have something to offer, and there's another type of person who doesn't want to receive. I have something to offer. Why aren't you letting me offer it? Uh, Because you don't seem ready to receive. I never want anybody preaching in a pulpit I'm connected to that can't receive ministry from others by the Spirit of God. You know, I work with preachers all throughout my weeks 
That's one of the things that God's gifted me to be able to do. It's a treasure of mine. And a lot of my free time, I'm calling preachers, texting preachers, watching sermons on the treadmill. I'm putting them on two times speed so I can get through a few more sermons. I've got three sermons to go through in one run. And, and all of those preachers, every single one that I get the privilege of interacting with, you know what they need? You. They all need what God has placed in you. If they aren't going to burn out and grow cold before their service is purpo- uh, so their purpose is served, they're going to need words of encouragement. They're going to need utterance of knowledge. They're going to need insight that comes to you prophetically through prayer. They're going to need to be prayed over by you. That They need that to happen. You have something to offer. It's not just the person you think that has something to offer. Every single one of you does even if it's only in the barest of forms. You have something to offer. You have something to receive. So the one who is able to give a word that God has given them in prayer is able then to receive a prayer from somebody else as they pray over them. And those things mutually encourage one another. Paul says in the first chapter of Romans, I long to be with you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged. Let me take it farther. The usual way of receiving a gift in the New Testament is that somebody lays hands on you to pray. Now, we know that in the Gospels, Jesus was asked, hey, you're a person under authority, just say the word, they'll be healed. And so he says the word, and immediately that person is healed. God's power is not limited to the location of our human bodies. So why does he limit the transference of spiritual gifts to the laying on of hands? The same is true in the book of Acts. The apostles have received the Spirit. Some go up to Samaria. They believe in Jesus but haven't received the Spirit. So the apostles travel up to Samaria and lay hands on them, and the Spirit is given to them in the same way that it was to the apostles in Acts chapter 2. Why did they have to go up and lay hands on them in Samaria? Because they didn't want to. They didn't want to be in Samaria. They're Jews. They didn't want to touch Samaritans. They're Jews. They didn't want to eat with Samaritans. That was considered unclean. They didn't want to be in the house of a Samaritan. God made it so that we can't avoid, if we're going to be the true church of Christ, getting close enough to each other to at least be in arm's length of one another so that we can be a connected fire. You have something to offer. You have something to receive. And that's what Christmas is all about anyway, isn't it? The next chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, is not about marriage. It can be applied to marriage. Love is patient, love is kind. You might have it up on your bathroom wall, I don't know, in some embroidered stitchery that your grandmother gave you. It's not about marriage. It's about everything. 
all of the life in the spirit is guided by that. If you have the gift of tongues, but you're a jerk, it's no good. You're just a loud gong. Would you quit making so much noise? If you have the gift of prophecy, but you don't have love, just keep it to yourself for a moment. It may have been the right prophecy, but it was the wrong way. I didn't really need to receive it. You you were talking about God's love so loud and so hatefully. I, I felt hated and condemned even by God's love. If you have surrendered your body to the flames, that's martyrdom, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. In other words, if you give your life up for Jesus, but you hate everybody else, I'm sorry, but you're not that righteous of a person. You get up to heaven like, Jesus, I'm glad I'm here because I got some things to say about them. Now, you know, I mean, I died for you. Would you just kill the rest of them? That's not at all in line with the spirit of God, the spirit of love, the spirit of grace, the spirit of giving, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of grace. All one spirit, same spirit. So giving and receiving then is basically a way of saying love. I put up with you because you put up with me. That's patience. I recognize my faults because you recognize your faults. That's humility. I forgive your sins because you forgive my sins. I'm not a keeper of wrongs because I don't want you to be a keeper of wrongs. That's love. In other words, the fundamental nature of what makes a spiritual house a spiritual home is everybody offering and receiving, offering and receiving, offering and receiving, offering and receiving, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but out of... Oh, you get it. You're 100% there. I don't even know why I'm talking. Except for the fact that I think I might have something to offer. And I think we all have something to receive. The second spiritual principle. So God's gifts are intended for sharing. They're not intended for comparing. Each one of us has something to offer and something to receive. Third, the sharing of spiritual gifts is not optional in a spiritual family. My kids are a little bit older now and I was getting ready to say that they have a source of income, some of them, but now that I think about it, they don't really exactly. Uh, But in all of our Christmas seasons, everyone has had something to give, and everyone has had something to receive. Even when they got a $3 allowance for mostly doing their chores generally kind of well. Now, don't judge us. $3, I know, we're cheap. It's okay. We take care of them. But even when they only got a $3 allowance, they were able then to give gifts to others because we said, well, here's your budget based on what you're able to do. Think of the gift, and if you can't quite reach it, we'll help you get the little extra. But you'll have something to give. Now, if you came to a Christmas tree in a family and one person received a lot of stuff but gave nothing, wouldn't you think (laughs) something was wrong? The giving and receiving of spiritual gifts is not an option in a spiritual family. It's not like I get to just choose. Friday morning, Friday's my day off. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but pastors really work on Sundays. 
it's kind of a, kind of a full day, so it's not really that, that's not the day off. And I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of the things we end up doing in church, they, they happen on Saturday, so you can't really count on Saturday. I think I was on the phone until 10.30 last night. Uh, it was kind of a long day. So Friday's my day off. Friday morning, I like to start with a piece of sourdough and a cup of coffee and a long time in devotions. Just as long as I want, that's what I get on Friday morning. I can just sit in that chair like a lazy bum forever, just keep turning pages for me and praying. In my prayer time, uh, a friend of mine was put on my heart, and I started praying for him, and a word came to mind about him, the word weary. He, He goes here, I won't share his name. I just felt impressed on me that he was weary, and I kept seeing his face, and I kept seeing what he was going through, and I saw his family, and I saw what they were going through, and weary kept coming back to mind. So I prayed that God would give him rest, that God would give him energy. After I was done praying, I kind of felt like maybe I should call him and and share that with him, maybe, and I thought, nah, it's my day off. So I have a little bit longer with other things going on, and then early in the afternoon, guess who calls? Because even in our brokenness, God finds a way to help us be whole. My friend calls, and I said, I was just praying for you this morning. I probably should have called. I think that's probably the reason you're calling. He had some other reason that we didn't talk about at all. Here's the word God gave me during prayer. I don't know if this is true for you. Would you tell me if it is? It was. A deep, unexpected, invisible weariness. Now, here's Dave. Uh, I don't know if you like Dave yet, but I kind of like Dave most days. But here's Dave who's studying this passage all week long, who's already asked for this illustration and that illustration to be ready for us today, who already knows what he's getting ready to preach. And on that day, I want to make the sharing of my spiritual gift optional. As though what God gives free and easily is somehow work. (laughs) It wasn't work. We had a beautiful time for 45 minutes and I received from him (laughs) while I was giving to him. We don't get to scissor out gifts from the New Testament that we don't like. Oh, that was a little bit weird. I mean, I don't really want that. Don't give that one to me, Jesus. All those people are strange. We don't get to scissor that out. We don't get to say to him, you know what? You wanted to give me that one, but I kind of had a different wish list this year. He gives to each one as he wills, not for your selfish wish list, for the common good. Now, you don't have to be weird. You know, a friend of mine uh, was preaching recently. I heard him tell this story. This rather large friend of his who came down to be prayed for at a kind of a space like this and somebody was getting ready to pray for them and he was lifting his hands and he was praying and worshiping and the person there just started jabbing him right in the belly button. It's really hard. It's like fire, 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 fire. Just jabbing him in the belly button. Fire. And uh, he didn't feel any fire, but he sure felt like the Santa moment jiggling, you know, kind of <laughs> bowl full of jelly. <laughs> Would you, didn't want to, didn't know how to handle the moment because it was awkward, it was weird and, and no fire fell. 
well, nothing happened. It was just completely distracting. You don't have to be weird. This whole Jesus thing's weird enough. The supernatural is unnatural enough. You don't have to add on to it. Now, I know if God gave you a direct word, I mean, I guess, what am I, who am I to say? But please don't make that your, your shtick. <laughs> oh, it'd be like Jesus walking around every town saying, well, the time that I spit in the mud and rubbed that on that guy's face, that really worked. Let's do that again. Everywhere he went. Please don't do that kind of weird stuff unless you have a direct, unavoidable compulsion of God. Please don't be weird. But don't avoid things out of fear that you might seem weird. You know, a professor of mine, Dr. David Bauer, once said in one of his lectures, I've heard others quote it since, so maybe he got it from somewhere else, I don't know. He said, faith is a four-letter word spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is risk. Even if you have the gift of faith and you have faith for something, it's a risk to tell someone else that you have faith for that and therefore light their wood with the faith that you have. Even if God has given you a word and you're holding on to it, it takes a risk for you to share that word with the person for whom it was probably for. If you've been given a gift of a way of praying in the spirit, a language that came to you from God, it takes a risk to not keep that in your private prayer closet. But to say to somebody, this may seem strange to you, but I I think God wants me to pray for you in a way that he's taught me to pray. Can I pray over you for a moment? It may seem like a risk to you to go lay hands on someone and pray for them when they are sick and the doctors have given up and there is no hope but to say, I, you know, the Bible told us to lay hands and anoint with oil and to pray for healing and God can't make God do anything. But I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. So can I pray for you today? That is an R-I-S-K and if you aren't R-I-S-K-ing, you're not living by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the giving and sharing of spiritual gifts is not, is not, not because it's a blessing, not because it's a burden, but because it's a blessing. It's not a burden to give gifts on Christmas morning. That's what we all want to do. We need to be bread makers we need to be fire builders that's what makes this house a home that's what makes this spiritual house a spiritual home would you stand with me I want to invite the ministry team, which is really just life group leaders and people in our church who've been trained to pray for you to come forward at this time. I don't know what is happening in your life, but I believe God didn't just have you come here to sit in a seat, listen to a speech, and walk away. 
When Jesus was saying his last words to the disciples, he said, go to Jerusalem, go through it real fast like a fast food drive-thru, see if something happens, and if it doesn't, get out of there fast, man. Some of you are trying to light your fire by putting it in the flame real quick and pulling it out and say, well, nothing happened. I'm not sure that was real. So that's probably not going to happen for me. No, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. It's an ugly word. Wait. We don't want to wait. We want fast food. We want microwave. We want get it done. We want fast and in a hurry. And Jesus said, wait, I think some of you know that there is a spiritual gift for you. Nobody's identified it. If you have it, no one's fanned it into flame. You haven't fully waited, and it's your day. You're not going to go into your private prayer closet and receive the gift he wanted you to have. He refuses that so that we'll be connected one to another like logs in a fire. As some of you, you've never settled that public declaration that Jesus is your Lord. Maybe you, you had some water on you when you were a baby. You know that didn't have much to do with you, but you haven't settled that. You haven't followed through with baptism. We'll baptize you today, right after this service. We'll take you through the teaching. We'll make sure you understand it. We'll make sure there's a confession of faith. And we have the clothes you need, the towels you need. We have everything you need here today some of you need healing you're scared to pray for it because you're scared it might not happen why don't you leave that up to God why don't you give him a chance why don't you let this house be your spiritual home would you bow your heads with me If the Spirit's moving in your life right now and He was kind of tapping on that door in your heart, that door that we don't even have another word for it, we don't know what it is, but when He touches it, we know something happened somebody else couldn't do. <laughs> I can't move anything inside of you, only He can do that. If He was tapping on that door, Scripture says if we'll open the door, He'll come in, it's up with us and us with Him. You know that there's one of those things you need to take care of or maybe something I didn't mention, but you know you need to have that connection today you need to make sure you're in the fire today you need to know that somebody will be praying and ministering to you today all I want you to do is just look up at me you're saying just to me and to God that I need one of these people to pray for me all right yeah yeah okay all right okay All right, I see you. See you. I see you. After the service, those of you who are looking at me, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Everybody's going to be milling around. There's a whole bunch of spiritual family going to happen right after this. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to smack each other back. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. We're going to say, why didn't you answer my text? And we're going to say, I'm so sorry. I'm a decent human being usually, but I wasn't to you today. We're going to have all kinds of spiritual family stuff happening around here. In the middle of that milling, I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to walk up and get to one of these ministers. Don't wait. 
If it's baptism, they'll take care of you. If it's a gift you need, they'll take it. They'll pray over you. If it's a healing you're praying for, they'll anoint you with oil. They're here and they're ready to pray with you. If it's a lordship issue, they'll pray you through that. If it's something, if you're just angry at God and you got to tell somebody how angry you are, they'll be there to listen. I don't want you to wait. You just come. Lord, thank you so much that you are, the reason we celebrate Christmas is you're the great gift giver. And you know what we need, even if it's not what we want. So we ask that you be the great giver today. That you would set before us a Christmas morning in the middle of December so that we might make this house a home. In Jesus' name.